What do most people get wrong about trauma? Hello, my friend. Welcome to Something for Everybody, the podcast to help those who listen feel more loved and connected through story sharing. My name is Aaron Mashbitz, and my mission is to help you realize your potential and capabilities through conversations and deep insights so you can make your prior best your new baseline. Anna Lee Howling joins the podcast this week. Anna Lee is a world-class performance coach, a trauma specialist, and a world-renowned speaker. And in this conversation, we break down different trauma responses, what people get wrong about trauma, and the current state of mental health practices, and how to stop existing and start living. This podcast is brought to you by Amare. Amare is the mental wellness company, and I use their products daily. So go ahead and click the link in the show notes. Use code EVERYBODY at checkout for $10 off your entire order. Now, on to episode 153 of Something for Everybody with Anna Lee Howling. friend welcome to something for everybody my name is aaron mashbitz annalee welcome to the show thank you so much i am very excited to talk to you i've been following you on social media for a long time as so many people do uh but before we get into everything about what you do your expertise all of the good stuff that i talk about a lot on this podcast i have a very important question to ask you the most important question which is um how are you doing like really how are you doing Thank you for asking me that question. Uh, I love this question. So I am a bit exhausted. This is, I've done a lot of interviews the last two days. It's just how it seems to have fallen. The universe has delivered me um, a number. I spoke about something uh, quite deep and vulnerable earlier. So I've got a bit of a vulnerability hangover from that, as Brene Brown terms it. Um, you just got to meet my little daughter off air, who is, it's bedtime here for her in the UK. So I'm feeling a tad guilty that she's sort of up and about and um she's more than happy with being distracted but still I feel like mummy's working and you know I'm not spending time with her um so yeah but overall I'm feeling really connected and excited about what we're going to talk about today Mm, yeah thank you thank you for sharing that I always feel like with people like sort of who do the work that you do in performance coaching or therapy or psychology or whatever it is in sort of this service domain that we, I don't know if you find this, but I find this for myself that we have a harder time taking our own advice than giving it to other people. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I've had to come to sort of terms with that. Like I hear brilliant people on this podcast say all these things and I write them down and then I'm like, yeah, I should definitely do all of these things. And then I tell other people to do them. And then I catch myself feeling overwhelmed and stressed and burnt out and working too hard and not prioritizing this and that. And I'm like, you learned all of this stuff. What are you doing? And so it's, um, I don't know. It's so maybe refreshing to hear you say those things in a way that's like, you're still working on it, even though you still teach people these things for a living and sort of have mastered this stuff, but it's still a process of figuring it out every single day, juggling your life and your social life, I'm sure, and being a mother and your whole entire business and all of these things that come with sort of trying to be a person who lives their best life. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like, you know, we don't want to pretend to be perfect as we know there's no such thing. And also, you know, it's like uh, we all know we should be eating all of our vegetables and stuff, but sometimes you're going to have, you know, a few squares of chocolate and that's okay. So um, I have a holiday next week. My daughter and I are off on vacation next week. And that has been a real anchor point, honestly. I've had to launch a few things through my business, which I'm really excited about. I've had to shift a lot of focus. I've traveled a lot this year already. We're only on the 4th of April and I've traveled a lot away from her, um, which has been really great for work. So I feel deeply excited but obviously that's not been uh time i've spent with her so next week it's just her and i my phone is going somewhere else it's covered out of office is on so yeah to your point um i know right now i'm not honoring the foundations that make me feel my best self all the time however i've got a very very 
clear, delicious finish line next week. And uh, all things that I'm doing, um, you know, work very late last night, might tonight and tomorrow. But then we have a long weekend in the UK for the Easter holidays and I whip her away next week. And uh, that's my finish line. So uh, I'm living my life with, with yin and yang at the moment, even though, yes, it's not, uh, not, not the ideal way I would choose right now, maybe. Yeah, what do you what do you think about the idea of balance? Because for me, I just think it doesn't exist. Like I was an athlete for a really long time, and there was no balance. I was like giving everything I had to do being the athlete, and it just seems like it just doesn't make sense to me. I don't know if it makes sense to you, and maybe you can explain it. But it's sort of like to me, it's like trying to live in harmony or maybe an obsessive harmonious life where you know that one thing is getting your time and attention, and that's what needs your time and attention. But there's also stuff that needs your time and attention, but you know you'll get to it once you ultimately finish this task. You're not trying to sort of balance and give half your energy here and half your energy here. When I'm a mom, I'm obsessed with being a mom. When I'm working, I'm obsessed with working. So that's sort of how I viewed it. I mean, it's it's taken a long time to sort of start, try to figure that out, but uh, I don't know how you look at it, but I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. No, I like what you've said. And I think, again, that just adds pressure on that we're meant to get this balance right now as well. And it's like, what's that? Am I not even doing that very well? Like, I'm failing at balance, you know. Oh, my God, I can't even balance my own life. Like, oh, what does that say about me? You know, so I, I feel it more like we have to constantly recalibrate. Because let's be honest, like, we get new information in the system, right? So, like, I might learn that, oh, I don't know, I'm going to do intermittent fasting I'm gonna do but like you know I might try something different or I might uh add a new workout in or I might um you know whatever it might be doing it's going to take a while for that to recalibrate through my daily life and my schedule and then there's also things where you know if I use the example of my daughter for example like she is not a robot I cannot control if she decides you know I might go to bed at 9 p.m and decide I'm going to get up at 5 a.m and journal with a matcha but the reality is if she decides that she's had a bad dream or something and gets into bed with me and that's out the window you know so if I haven't therefore had the good night's sleep and you know all this stuff then I'm you know I'm feeling like all I want to do is go and stuff my face with pastries and I'm I'm not really great for you know something else that day and that's okay so I think balance to me is more about regaining your balance I think that's the art I think that's where non-attachment comes in this recalibrating you know I learned something new how can I find balance in my system for that okay this thing's happened this life event this piece of news I wasn't expecting this little person waking me up or whatever you know so okay what is it that I need to do to recalibrate for today to be able to face what challenges are, are in my life and I think you know everyone talks about work-life balance and one of my little quirky sayings is I just think it's a whole life balance there is no such thing anymore and so again rather than this you know should the inner critic territory which I'm sure we'll come on to but rather than feeling that we're failing you know something else again let's just look at our whole life let's look at everything in it that's important and let's just look at where we need to recalibrate and more often than not that's stripping the engine not putting more in so I am with you I think the art of balance is actually just regaining your balance when you've been knocked off center, possibly even linked to resiliency, actually, especially you'll know from years in performance and as an athlete. Yeah, I, it's like sort of like uh, walking like a tightrope. It's like you have this like dynamic equilibrium, like nothing's ever just like, okay, I'm here on flat ground. Everything's all good all the time and nothing like you're just like, okay, I got it. One step in front of the other, one step in front of the other, one step in front of the other. And then I like to break it down sort of like you're saying and like the whole life balance, like thinking about it, like energy, work, and love. Those are the mm. three areas of my life that I think about. And if my energy is right, that means I can give deep love to whoever it is, parents, friends, partner, and I can do deep work. I can go 90 minutes on a work bout because I fixed my sort of energy. And then I know that in those times, those are the things that are getting everything of me. And so it's just easier for me, at least, to break it down with those three parts than think about everything, my whole existence all of the time with everything that's happening and how can I do this and that and the whole world is falling apart or not falling apart and this and that. It's like, holy fucking Christ. What, the, what am I supposed to do with all of that? But if I can be like, okay, energy, work, love, that's me, deliberate attention to that. And then we move forward and see things as they come. 
I love that. I absolutely love that. I think there's also quite a lot of pressure in this like wellness aesthetic in sort of a, in, you know, that you're not even doing like wellness right. You know, like I said, I <laughs> you know, like I don't journal, <gasps> you know, so I, I understand the benefits. I see why it's terrific. It's not for me. It's just not one of the things that's not the way that I need to discharge stress. My writing is appalling. So it probably stresses me out more trying to look at like... <laughs> disaster on the page but I solve or reflect or kind of um I need to speak it out and there's actually a function on whatsapp where you can whatsapp yourself so <laughs> so I often whatsapp myself especially when I'm driving because obviously you're not allowed to to message or anything but if I'm having an idea or a thought or I'm chewing something over I'm often listening to a podcast in the car or on a walk or something and I'm, I'm thinking something through. I need to speak it. That's just how I process. So, you know, if it's not for you, let it go. Like, like this whole wellness thing, you know, if, if green tea isn't for you, then fine. Find what is, you know, if uh, one of my neighbors that often is also a coach and, and uh, spends a lot of time and very helpfully with my daughter as well. And she said to her, Amber, my daughter's name, you've got to break at least one rule a day. That's, that's like her, <laughs> her secret for life. You've got to break one rule a day. You know, that's it. Not more than that. You've got to break one rule a day. And I love that. So if you're feeling overwhelmed with this, like, oh, I, I must do this or I should do that or I should be enjoying this. Oh, my God. Take permission and break a rule a day. That's really, like you say, within your three beautiful areas of focus or just whatever's authentic and true to somebody listening. Like, let's let's break the sort of societal rule and and do what's really authentic to you instead. Absolutely. <clears throat> so I'll switch gears here a little bit and we'll, we'll switch to, uh, one of your areas of expertise, which is, um, which is trauma. And I would just like to know, well, what do you think most people get wrong when they think about trauma? So more recently I have been speaking a bit, uh, about the form trauma response, which seems to be lesser known. So, I was actually being interviewed earlier and we were talking about this. There's five trauma responses. There's fight, flight and freeze that I think everyone's kind of quite familiar with. And then there's flop, which is you literally just pass out on the spot. Like that's it. So, so traumatic, so scary. You know, like you often see the videos of like uh, grooms at the altar that faint, you know, those sort of funny <laughs> You know, stuff like that. Or there's lots of animals. There's like these little sort of um, impala deers in the desert and they, they see a predator and they, they literally flop. They fall over to one side. Trauma response. They just, just quite literally check out. But the last one is fawn. And I don't know that people are really aware of what fawning is, what it isn't. And the fact that, again, just like fight, flight or freeze, this is activated before there's any kind of conscious thought. It is truly a trauma response designed to keep you safe. And it feels like one where people maybe also carry the most shame. You know, if, if somebody approached the house now where I am and they were going to come in and try and attack me and my daughter, you know, if I went to fight and I fought them off and, you know, I went into a blind rage, let's call it that, you know, uh, because it's a trauma response and I fought them off. Everyone would be like, yeah, no, absolutely. I would have done the same thing. If somebody came in and I tried to seduce them, placate them, um, act like I knew them, make out like it was okay, offer them a cup of tea, people would be like, that's really fucked up. Like, what did you do that? What did you do that for? Why would you do that? It's a trauma response. It's, not, it's actually not different. Fawning, so fawning is really common in domestic abuse relationships where there's domestic violence. Fawning is really common in households with violence, you know, obviously growing up in childhood. Fawning can be really common with narcissistic employers, bosses, coaches, uh, you know, parents that are coaches. Hi, the athletes, you'll, you'll probably know lots of times that may have happened, you know, so, but it, it's very common in sexual assault as well. And so I have people coming in for, for trauma work to reprocess a traumatic event, particularly around, say, sexual assault, where they are carrying shame that in some way they encouraged it or in some way they were asking for it or in some way, um, you know, that they've got some responsibility in this. But it was very evidently a premeditated attack in, in some cases going to high court and all these sorts of things. And it's because the trauma response has been selected and fawning is a genuine trauma response. And I just don't think there's this knowledge really yet in the system that this is something that is genuine. 
it happens and it happens before any kind of conscious thought. It is activated because your amygdala, your limbic system, the animal part of your brain fires first and your prefrontal cortex, which is your dates, times, uh, brokers, your language, all these areas at the front are offline. The blood's not there because your body, your system is taking over to keep you alive. I just don't think people are, understand that. And that's also why I think perhaps people stay in unhealthy relationships because they carry shame that in some way they have perpetuated that person's behavior or encouraged it or in some way they're to blame. And I just don't know there's enough knowledge in the collective about this at the moment. Mm. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not familiar with that. Why do you think um, that's just not been discussed as much as say the other ones? I think, I mean, I was only, I was in a training room in 2021 when they first sort of said it to, to us as a group. That was the first time that I'd really uh, heard about it. And they showed us a video of these wild Mustangs and how they got broken in. And there's a, this is me and my terrible horse knowledge. So apologies to all the equine fanatics listening. Um, <laughs> I'm going to like ruin it for everyone. But basically they showed this, this guy in the center of the sort of the, the ring and the horse gets brought in and it's wild, you know, so it's bucking and it's terrified. And the, the guy that's going to break it in and he's like the world's best at this and does it in record time. He's cracking a whip. He's not touching the horse. He's just cracking the whip in the center and making the noise, you know, and it's obviously not very nice. So anyway, the horse starts running clockwise. And it runs and runs and runs. And, and the guy's just stood in the middle, cracking the whip, not obviously not touching the horse, but the noise is horrible and there's the movement. And the horse stops. Anyway, the guy's still cracking the whip. And so suddenly the horse literally turns around and retraces its steps, the exact same number of loops and steps to go back to exactly where it started. Nothing's changed. The guy's still just cracking this whip. Anyway, then the horse eventually drops its head and so with the horse when it drops its head and like shows you the back of its neck it's submitted it's like it's submitted and it trots towards the guy in the center of the ring and at that point it's in inverted commas tame and he's tamed it now what actually is happening with regards to a fawn trauma response as, as an explanation with this the predator for this mustang is a mountain lion and so when it initially started running clockwise, it ran the automated number of steps and distance, if it was in the wild, that it would need to, to outrun the mountain lion. Mountain lion can't keep up. This horse has gone however it needs to go to get out of the way. Anyway, it can't work it out because there's still this predator. This thing is still going off in the center. It's like, what the fuck? So then it retraces its steps to go, okay, I can't understand this. I should have outrun my predator. So then it runs back the other way around. And it's still going. And at this point, the only option it has, or it thinks it has for survival, is the very thing that also might be killing it. It's the very threat. And that's the point that it submits. That is fawning. Because mm -hmm. the choice between dying and staying alive is apparently the same thing. So I'm going to submit to you and fawn. So that's, that's how I was taught it. Um, and that was only two years ago. And I just, I just think it's a fairly, I don't think it's new as such. Obviously, if I'm talking to you now, I'm sure you're, you're envisaging times that it maybe has, has happened in your life, you know, like at work or something like that, or where we've had to be, you know, a family member. Oh, it's just uncle so-and-so, look fine. I'll be not, you know, whatever. Or don't say that your father will be cross, you know, whatever it might be. So, you know, there's times that we've had to, to fawn. Um, but I don't think, I just don't think it's widely known and discussed at the moment. And so, uh, yeah, that's something that I, I hope to be able to talk about more because in my experience of seeing clients one-to-one, -one, it is the sort of trauma response that people hold the most shame about because they assume in some way they were to blame. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, the blaming yourself or, or taking, trying to take responsibility that for something that wasn't even in your control. Um, I'm sure it's a very complicated one to unravel for people when you work with them. Yeah. Um, because yeah, I mean, how do you go about, how would you go about doing that? I know it's a very personal question for the person that you're working with. So I guess mm -hmm. you would be giving a very broad and general answer, but I mean, where do you start with someone who's just riddled with shame and guilt and they think it's all of their fault for being, abused or beaten up by someone or some person in their life because they did this or wore this or said this or, you know, looked like this or gave up whatever, like, 
how do you start to unravel that? Mm, so to, to, as you very generously and rightly said, so to protect everybody's um, identity that I've worked with, I'll talk about myself. I'm very happy to do that. So I grew up in a, a household where my father was very violent towards me. And for years, because he told me it was my fault and I had made him do it, you know, my behavior or whatever I may have said or how I looked at him or something like that. I made him do these things, these violent acts. And so, you know, I grew up assuming that I am bad because that shame language, shame is I am. It's a felt sense. It's actually very, very difficult to um, verbalize shame. It's really hard to talk about that. Like you, you met my my daughter at the beginning and you know, if I said to you, oh, Aaron, do you know what, like, like I said, the check-in, you know, I'm not feeling, I'm not spending as much time with her as I should. I'm feeling a bit guilty and feeling, you know, like I've not done the best as a mummy. And you'd be like, oh yeah. If I say to you, Aaron, you know, I really should have been spending tonight with her. I am a bad mother. I feel sick. I feel sick saying it. And I'm giving you an example. Like I am is a felt sense. So people come away from trauma with the I am language, which I am is shame language. So I am broken. I am a failure. I am wrong. I am unlovable. I am unworthy. Uh, I am incapable. I am helpless. I am hopeless. I am weak. You know, this is shame language that lives within us. And so then we view the world through the lens of this, this shame language, like I am weak, I am bad. So then I go start growing up assuming that I am this awful person who drives, I'm so disgusting. I am disgusting, I've had that a lot, I am disgusting. So I am someone that, you know, has driven my parent, my caregiver, who should love me more than anything in the world, to be physically violent towards me because I'm so awful. That That is the lens that I assume must be true about me. And so the way that, I found healing myself because we work in this modality and you're doing coaching and, and healing work, but it was EMDR, the process, which is eye movement desensitization reprocessing, which is a technique that I use as one of my, my skills. I remember going to my therapist who was amazing and, and having this done. And there was a belief that I'd had in, in my system since I was seven, when my father punched me in the face in a restaurant and my nose bled. And my mother wasn't at dinner that night. And I remember going, the worst part was going back to the apartment. It was in on a holiday in Europe and going back to the apartment. And I could see them kind of colluding between them to uh, in some way kind of shake off what had happened rather than saying sorry or it was wrong or obviously it had to be my fault. So um, at the time, boys in my class were beginning to get nosebleeds as adolescents. You know, it sort of happens to boys at that age. And they were like, oh, well, you did say you'd never had a nosebleed. Ha ha like it was a like a Christmas gift or something. Now, honestly, for years, even though I knew rationally that was not okay or right, I still believed in some way I must have said something to make him do that. I'm, I must have uh, said the wrong thing or, or looked at him in the wrong way or I must have been bad. And it wasn't until I did the work with my own therapist and she said to me, you're not far, you know, my daughter is six and a half. She's like, you put her in that chair and you say if in any way that was her fault. I mean, I, I can't even bear the image. I actually, you know, I've done it in the past. I've had it reprocessed. But the thought of putting my daughter in a chair and having a man punch her in the face from anything she could have possibly said, like just hideous. So it's those. Sort, and I've done that work with clients as well is asking them whether they have their own child or a niece or a nephew or, a, you know, a child that they know in their life or even their inner child. You know, and placing that inner child from that that event in an understanding, was it their fault? Because we come away with this messaging, assuming the I am. And in mine, it was I am bad. So that was how I work through that for myself. And I no longer hold that belief or any of those beliefs about myself. And, you know, I've had that reprocessed out of me as, as well. I've done a lot of work in that area. But um, yeah, it's, it's shame in those regards is something that really can become a lens that we view our life from. And it's deeply isolating. When you feel ashamed, you think it's only you. And you really do, it's this, this horrible I am, this felt sense. And it can be incredibly isolating and incredibly lonely. How did that show up in your life uh, before you got 
healed from it before you decided to make that move? Was there was there a tipping point that decided you to 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 reevaluate and sort of get into he- the healing journey? What was that all like? Mm, well, I mean, I distanced my parents when I could, you know, when I was sort of financially autonomous and able to and old enough, frankly. And then everyone's like, oh, but they're your family. You know, they're your family. It's like, violent and terrifying. And uh, and so that was sort of one step was to finding autonomy. And that was very difficult because people don't really accept or find, I mean, much better now, I would say. And there's actual, this is where Instagram and social media is very good because you can find community of people like you. Whereas, you know, you can feel really odd. And again, more shame, more shame. You haven't got a relationship with your family, you know, so that can be deeply isolating. So that that's sort of in itself, me establishing myself and finding my center. I'm deeply spiritual and I found a, a path of spirituality, which has been a huge bedrock for me. So having a belief greater than myself has been incredibly helpful but yeah absolutely it did show up in my life because it showed up in say romantic relationship it showed up in jobs because I was quite afraid of you know I wouldn't put myself in a situation where there could be say conflict with men and I would be really frightened and I would also deeply repress my vulnerability um my father stopped being violent towards me when I was about 14 I think I remember saying you can do it but I it's just going to hurt me briefly. Basically, I'd checked out so much and he didn't do it after that. I think maybe he couldn't get the rise. I don't know. And um, so, but I'd learned, you see, I'd learned to lock away tears. I'd learned to lock away feeling. I'd learned to lock away vulnerability. And I carried on with that locked away for a long time. And it's been probably the bigger work for me, bringing that back out into the light and really uh being okay with being vulnerable, like asking your question at the beginning. That's a very difficult question, you know, for people to answer. That is when I I do a very similar question at the beginning of workshops. And when I was doing those on lockdown, that question, how are you feeling? And you're not allowed to say good, fine or okay. I would have swathes of cameras going off and I'd get messages. I'm so sorry. I couldn't keep the camera on. I was crying. I'm so sorry. You know, and so it was, uh, that's always the point that people really kind of connect exactly where they are. And I just spent years with layers of armor on because that's how I'd learned to cope. Um, so the, the the deconditioning, I would say, has been the, the bigger work for me is learning to be vulnerable and that that actually is my superpower. Hmm. Yeah, you you unlock to yourself, you unlock to your, your emotions. Mm. Um, and obviously that's why probably you got into the work that you did right so you can have other people have the same sort of revelation transformation um that you encountered yeah absolutely i mean you can see people as deeply as you've seen yourself and i've uh, tipped pandora's box upside down and thrown it on the floor and yeah i've uh, you know obviously still got work to do and i will do work every day for as long as i'm on this earth because it's just sort of who i am and uh you know, in service of others, that's why I do it as well as try and try and bring the best experience and understanding to my clients. But yeah, had I not have had the experiences that I'd had and found things that genuinely work, you know, there are a lot of people that are out there kind of making wild promises to uh, help people that are really struggling. And I find it abhorrent. I really don't understand I'm sure you see it, you know, it's everyone's out to make a buck and I get it. But, you know, in, in the healing space, when people are really struggling, um, for example, there's a, I've always got a couple of fake accounts, always. So there's a, a couple of fake accounts at the moment that are contacting people. As soon as someone follows me, it seems that they, they follow them back and contact them and say, oh, this is Annalie and I want I feel a real connection to you and I want to do a reading. And a few people have sent them money. And I I just, it breaks my heart because they're preying on really vulnerable people. And I'm sure they've got their own stuff going on. And for whatever reason, they need to take this low vibrational path and, and do this, but I can't bear it. And then that might be individuals. And then you've got the corporations that are, oh, pay me this and I'll cure your anxiety. Oh, it's $99 and in download this thing and you'll be free of uh, anxiety or trauma forever. No, you won't. So, so it might help, but maybe there's like something that's useful in there, but that's just not true. And I, I think that's a really, because then, you you know, we're going back about balance and not being balanced. Then you failed at that as well. Oh, well, you didn't get cured. Everyone else spent $99. Look at their happy, smiling faces skipping through the <laughs> motherhood. You know, it's not you. What's, what the fuck's wrong with you? Can 
even cure yourself oh my god you're even more broken than we thought you were boo so yeah I mean it's just I just can't get my head around that I really I think it's dreadful and uh so yeah I hope that people listening are you know, finding things that are useful and can go and, you know, read good books and find education and, and things like that and find good good help where they can because, yeah, there's, there's unfortunately sharks in this space as well. Yeah, it's uh, like heartbreaking is that I don't even think it comes close because you're dealing mm -hmm. with real life people who are looking mm -hmm. for solutions and answers to the deepest, darkest problems of their mind, body, and soul. They're consumed by it and they're on social media looking for anything. And also the people who are doing it, like you said, are probably consumed by the same thing, but this is their outlet. And then we have people who are, are just throwing around these, like these hacks, these quick fixes to things that cannot be quick fixed. Like, yes, there mm -hmm. is certain things I can do in the moment that will help me feel better in the moment. But if I want to actually heal over a sustainable long period of time, one, if my goal is to like never be stressed or overwhelmed, that's a, like, that's a dead person's goal. So you can just remove that idea. So you're never going to not feel any of those things and you're never going to be like exonerated from the work. There's always going to be some things that happen in your life. But if you take the quick fix, the quick route, you're not equipping yourself with any sort of armor that allows you to handle those situations better than you previously did. You're just like fixing it for the moment. Like, oh, I'm hungry. I'll have a piece of candy. Well, how's the downstream effects and the compound effects of those things? And same with going to a person who doesn't really know what they're doing, but they're going to take your money. My, my biggest pet peeve is the person who says like, just love yourself. Well, I'm a person who, what if I'm a person who like, like, like you said, I am this statement. I, I, I really genuinely do not like myself. I hate myself. I mean, I've had more than one person say that, and that's their underlying belief. I am disgusting. So, yeah, how, like, love yourself. Oh, uh, there's, a bit of a, there's a bit of a gap. <laughs> like, you that's like, <laughs> yeah. It's like telling me to, to put on some running shoes and go sprint across America in 25 minutes. Mm. Okay, sure. Yeah, definitely. I'll do it. I'll get that done. But, like, I understand that we can have a, a North Star of, okay, eventually I want to love myself or love parts of myself or acknowledge the good parts of myself. Yeah, that's my North star. That's my guidepost. That's my light in the sand. Okay. But how can I, okay, I'm, I'm disgusting. Every part of me is gross. Okay. Well in six months, can we like maybe enjoy that you are capable of this or you like the way your arm looks in this t-shirt or whatever it is. Like that's a six month journey to like, maybe like one thing about yourself. And that's where the real work is. And that if that person is coming to you, or the professional that you're working with is saying that, you, you might know that they have something to say and they might know what they're doing. But if they're saying mm, one week, two sessions, 100 bucks each, I can get you to love yourself, boom, you should leave. You should leave that place and you should never talk to that person again. So with you, 100%. And it's not to say, because if people are listening, thinking, oh, gosh, well, I really do feel disgusting or low and I don't think I've got it in the tank to you know, get to this, this place that we're talking about today, exactly to your point, which is beautiful. You don't have to, um, you know, run across America right now. Like let's literally just look at what your next step can be. And again, just, just give yourself grace for whatever that might be and make sure it's authentic to you. So, you know, a step towards loving yourself can be putting a boundary in with somebody, a step towards loving yourself can be going, do you know what, tonight I am just going to, um, order in and, and turn my phone off. And that can be a step towards loving yourself. And it, it doesn't have to be these, again, this sort of meeting these standards of, um, you know, oh, not even doing all these other things. Right. But yeah, that, that, that sort of industry where it's, um, selling things to people that are in pain. That was, that was literally why I started the Instagram. I could see, cause it was one of the lockdowns. We had two in the UK and, People were literally trying to profiteer from others' pain. And I can't be with that. Like, I can't be with that. So I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to start this Instagram and I'm just going to put some things out that I would say to athletes or, you know, people at the top of their game that I work with in, you know, high performance in corporate or, you know, any of my other clients. I'm just going to put some advice out there or a breath technique or link a podcast that's free. You know, I'm just going to put some things out that I know works. Like I know this works or I know it's true. And if it helps one person, then I've done a good job. That was my mm -hmm. whole 
MO and it remains to be today. Like I don't, um, you know, take big partnerships or, you know, it's, I just want to, to do something. I've got my, my business and, you know, I want to bring it to more people. And I love doing things like this, like the conversation we're having today, but I literally just want to help people. And I, and I think it's becoming maybe more obvious where that's not the case. So, um, but yeah, for people that are deeply vulnerable, please just, uh, you know, be still be just selective and probably even kinder to your heart in, in those moments and, and choose wisely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that leads me right into exactly what m more thing I wanted to talk to you about was like the current state of our mental health practices, right? Our countries are a little bit different in terms of accessibility yeah. and healthcare and stuff like that. But <clears throat> generally, we, we've obviously seen that sort of mental health is more talked about than it's ever been before. Uh, people are seeking sort of treatment more than ever before. But I think people are um, experiencing more mental health conditions than they ever have before. And that could be a multitude of reasons. But just, um, you know, what comes to mind when you sort of think of the current state of mental health? So, yeah, we had a little chat off air about, I mean, I was in LA last week and um, I was speaking to a British friend of mine because I was doing some EMDR work with private clients and doing some, looking at some event spaces to do some workshops for this exact sort of area in the States in particular. So, and he said to me, he said, Annalie, the thing is in LA, the biggest mental health facility is the Los Angeles County Jail. Mm -hmm. And he said, and that is followed closely by rehab, but that's you know, thirty, forty thousand dollars a month. So it's very privileged to be able to access that kind of care. And then he said there's absolutely nothing in between, nothing at all, until you get down to therapy, which is expensive, and to find a good therapist hard to come by. And then he's like, that's it, that's it. And then obviously there's a load of meds in between. But he was he said that that's sort of what uh, he he felt was was lacking is there's nothing really where there's um tools to help people navigate and deal with what's happening in their life now in the uk we have the national health service which is a free health service and we do have um you know things like the cbt and you can have emdr on the nhs but all i know about that is there's still privilege there's still a lot of issues with privilege in that because when i was doing my training for emdr i remember when it was probably about 40 people in the in the kind of room we're all training and at the beginning, and most people in there were NHS uh, trauma therapists. And these people are getting, you know, one of the ladies I spoke to, she's literally receiving the refugees seeking asylum when they're crossing the channel from Europe. So, you know, yeah. these people are often losing children. I mean, the, the journey they would have been on is horrific in its own, on its own. So, I mean, she's receiving people in the throes of unbelievable trauma. Now, as an NHS therapist, she won't be paid well. The hours are really hard. And one of the questions the facilitator said was, who in this room has already had EMDR? So I put my hand up thinking, well, of course, we've all tried it before we've come on this training course. Of course, we've all had it. Three people, three people had had the therapy. Three people knew what it was like. Three people knew what good should look like. So there is still issues with privilege. You know, I was able to pay to go to a private therapist who I know who could, who had found and that's because I wanted to try this therapy before I invested in the training course, but also because I will not do anything or say anything that I don't believe in. Just, I like to sleep well at night. That's my, you know, that's my sort of MO, but I, I, it really rattled me to think, oh my goodness, and these are really good people doing incredible work and frankly, a lot braver than me and, and in much tougher conditions, but they'd never experienced EMDR for themselves. So how on earth do they know what? good looks like and then yeah. that's obviously what they're doing with their clients so there is still an issue with albeit that there is accessibility here in the uk there's still an issue with the investment that's being um put into the pr practitioners that you're able to access and then something else that i read that was sort of you know yin and yang balance was that um, TikTok, because it's more anonymous. So if you and I were friends on TikTok, um, I wouldn't see, say, if you'd liked something or if you'd followed someone. So it's it's very anonymous in that way. So the, the positive about that is that more and more people are looking at mental health on TikTok because you say can't see. So people are, are less um, scared about, you know, accessing different influences or content. But the knock on, a bit like our earlier conversation to that is, 
it's obviously not regulated it's social media so again somebody could be out there saying hey pay me this or i'll kill this or just do this thing with a balloon through anxiety and it's not necessarily good advice so mm-hmm. that good that there's a platform that people are going and searching and, and there's anonymity and uh maybe there's like not a good conversation but there's more interaction there but obviously it's deeply unregulated so you don't know that the advice that you're getting is valid and people are diagnosing via tiktok self-diagnosing mm-hmm. so particularly younger people the very vulnerable are kind of going well i've got da 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 because i've seen this video on tiktok so um it's good that the conversation is there it's maybe not ideal that it's not regulated so yeah i think there is a, a gap everywhere for where again unfortunately like all things privilege is kind of uh, playing a very big role and you can work for a fantastic huge organization where they make big investments one of my friends works for a large fashion company and they have an hour of therapy a week paid for by the company and you get to select isn't that amazing tech fashion mm-hmm. and you get to and i went and did a, a workshop you know so they really really mean it when they're investing in their staff and then you get other huge global corporates that sort of say it but really they want to tick a box um and and again it's it's finding uh you know authenticity and integrity within that as well yeah the the mental health in the workplace can't just be like a like an optics thing Mm. Mm. you know Um, as well there's a lot of trauma in the workplace yeah you know narcissism exists in corporate because like everything's got a role so a lot of ceos in corporates are narcissists because to be frank some of that is beneficial in that role now i just i'm not saying for a second i think it's a good thing but what i am saying is you know i personally couldn't lay off three thousand people a day before christmas or like a week before christmas and just Mm -hmm. be cold as ice about it i i it's one of the reasons i don't have a job like that you know i couldn't team um you know spend two nights in the office and call them every day on their holiday and like expect them to work or do that myself for you know a a share obviously a bonus and shareholder and money that's just not how i'm built so i couldn't i couldn't do that but you do need to have people um that are are able to dissociate or have less empathy in certain areas that that can make these decisions so this is where it is maybe useful i try and look at you know everything being quite quite namaste so okay well where does this have a role and you can see where where that might be better suited but there's absolutely trauma in the workplace and again i think that's maybe something that is beginning to come to the fore you know we talk about politics and i was like oh yeah there's politics at my company or this or that but the you know now thankfully we have some more work from home practices and genuine flexible working but typically you can't escape these people and there's things like well i'm going to know where you're logging in because i need this vpn or i'm you know i'm looking up at this or i'm checking in on that and it can it, you can end up just existing in survival zone for days and weeks and months on end and that is incredibly challenging for your mental health well, yeah, I mean, you, you spoke about trauma responses earlier. If someone has a trauma response from their childhood and every day they go to work and their boss just screams at them for no mm-hmm. reason, you know, how are they going to respond to that? They're going to lock away. Their emotions are going to be tied off. Then they're going to go home to their partner and not be able to express their day or how they feel. And all of these things snowball and compound. Like there's not just like one thing and then it's, that's it. That's the only place it happens. Like um, I, I coach a 14-year-old baseball team. And I talk about this all the time. Like if, if the players who are on the field see their coach scream and yell and throw equipment, everything after a mistake, one, they're obviously going to do that on the field when they do that. But now they go home or they go to school and they get a bad grade on their test or their mom tells them to do something and they don't want to do it and they throw a fit. Baseball and school and laundry seem totally unrelated. Why are they doing that? Well, I saw the guy that I look up to and mentor and see as a role model throw a tantrum, throw his bucket of baseballs, yell and scream. So I'm going to do that because that makes sense. That's what adults do. And so everything has an effect downstream. And so if you want to really look at mental health in the workplace, just as like, a oh, we're just doing it. So when we get reviewed by human resources, they're like, we're good. We did it. You know, we had the, the workshop of one hour where everyone is healed and everyone's good over 30 years of their life and one hour by this one person who's overextended and overworked and all this stuff. Like, great, we're done. Instead of like, actively trying to take care of the people 
that are working for you. Like if any, if you're only driven by money, you would still think this is a really good idea because people are going to be more productive, more efficient, more happy, more energized. They love work because they've taken care of themselves. So if you're only driven by money and you care less about the people that work for you, which is you know beyond me, but then you could still see the benefit of actually taking care of people's mental health on a day-to-day basis or having someone who's in there uh, that works uh, with the company, like a sports psychologist works for a sports team or whatever the case may be is. But then you get into the other issue of like there's not enough practitioners. Then you get into like licensure and is, is non-degree people allowed or is only degreed people. I can only work in this state with this person because this is what the mental health license is and that's a whole fucking mess and all. Of, so it's like so many downstream things, which, you know, I think about a lot, but that's sort of, you know, my take on it. No, I'm completely with you. And I just think about, uh, I think there are some, there are are good things that are happening. The language change is great. But yeah, exactly to your point, if you've already got pre-existing trauma, and remember that shame language, I am disgusting, I am unworthy, I am a failure, I am bad. I mean, what a place to go and get that revalidated. You know, in like a, like you say, in a, in sports, in a workplace where, you know, I am bad. Oh, well, I didn't get my numbers this month. I am bad. Oh, my boss is having a go at me again. I am bad. Like, what a place to, to yeah, get that, get that going, keep that alive. Yeah. So, well, I've, I mean, yes, I, I've sort of been in this space for like the last four years. I got into it in 2018. Um, and since then, I've seen a lot of change. Like I've seen a lot of quality change. Like way more people are receptive to this conversation. Like I'm not getting told on the internet anymore that I'm a weak man for speaking about my mental health, right? Like mm-hmm. that's moved, like some people still say that, but majority that's like moved on. People like okay with the idea that I can share and express and cry and feel. Yes, and there's certain times that a man should be tough. Same time that a woman should be tough as well. It's like both people have both masculine and feminine traits, and we should be able to display those things. Uh, that's sort of like the, what the divine person is, like has both of those traits. And so I've seen a lot of things increase and get better. But since it's talked about so much, um, I don't want it to become one of those things that's just another performative thing that people do because they know that they'll get a pat on the back for it. And so that's, that's one of my biggest fears. And also I fear that there's just not enough people to do the work to help people that need help. Um, Yeah, I think that's a very good point. And, you know, I think that the, the healers are also, you know, at the moment are still bringing some healing themselves as well from times on lockdown and, you know, everything else that's going on in the world. So I think that you're absolutely right. And I think Brene Brown made a call for anybody that, you know, would like to go into a healing modality in any way, shape or form, like someone that's, that can be a helper or a carer because the world desperately needs them and we're only going to need more. So yeah, I'd like to like echo what you're saying there. It's uh, the, the more people that can, can be in that space to, cause it's difficult. You know, I, I won't work with minors because of transference and transference for anyone that doesn't know is when you over empathize with a situation and my daughter's nearly seven and there are people in the world that are just incredible and can work with children that have been through trauma i can't i would i would not be able to shake that off that's not something i could do and then be like okay and now i'm going to go to the supermarket i just wouldn't be able to it would really impact my life too much and i know that and so given that i do think i would still be able to do a good job for that client but given that my professionalism i have to say no that's not something that i'm prepared to do so i personally will not work with minors and the people that do i think are extraordinary so you know there's there's again everyone should also kind of uh, be this integrity and this authenticity about knowing exactly where you can work and um yeah and the same for organization you know what what is the right fit in that moment yeah What are sort of your favorite uh, mental health practices that you engage in? Mm, So I do meditate. I do meditate. I often listen to Bob Proctor, who was a terrific man, passed fairly recently. So I listen to one uh, quite regularly. It's just on YouTube, free. It's an abundance meditation. I just love his voice and I really like that. So it's about 20 minutes. I think, you know, that's 20, 21 minutes works really well for me. So I often do that most days. And I've done it so often now that the second I hear it, I kind of go to that gooey, uh, lovely place and also I can I can activate it myself fairly well 
without needing to hear it. I try and always make sure that I have some time outside. I move, I need to exercise. I'm ratty if I don't. So it's, you know, I like to, I need to move and I do different things. I'm, I'm someone that needs variety in all aspects in my life. So movement, I need to have variety. So I try and one of the practices is I try and look across my week to ensure I'm going to have that. Um, and then the other things I do, like I say, I speak things into, into form. So I need to, I like to access what I call my big picture thinking, which I tend to do on walks when I'm listening to things like podcasts. And that's somewhere that I can just really escape into. I love that. Just, you know, just walking and listening and being inspired to me, inspiration is just sets me alight. You know, that's me kind of entering my flow state. And that's one of the biggest things that I need for my mental health. When I'm approaching burnout, I know it because I sort of lack all creativity. There's just nothing that, you know, I don't have my mojo is the easiest way for me to say it, but the way it feels is I just can't access any kind of like magical creativity about, about what I'm doing or, or anything in particular. So having that time and putting it aside, just sort of not achieve dare I say and I'm not I'm not heading for a goal I'm not like I'm going to do this and listen to this podcast I'm going to come back and write 15 posts that are going to be like incredible viral you know it's not that I do it because it makes me feel like me and so anything that makes me feel really truly authentically myself and sometimes that's going out with a group of friends that are just and we cackle in a corner and you know and that is also something that can be deeply deeply soul enriching as well yeah i imagine spending time with your daughter also has that effect yeah absolutely she's uh she's amazing she's been my greatest teacher definitely she's a daily um inspiration she she said to you before she came on i write down sometimes some of the things she said and one of the things she said to me was like a little yoda she said um everything that you go deeper into gets much colder she said except for love the deeper that you go into love the warmer it gets I was like, oh, whoa <laughs> like baby yoda gonna write that down yeah it's amazing wow what a magical statement I know, I know. So yeah, she's got a few, a few belters. I'm like, yeah, that's my girl. So she's, uh, yeah, she's awesome to spend time with. And she, again, deserves my presence. So that's been um, a boundary and, and sort of a, a good learning. And I also know that when I'm doing the whole, just a second, honey, sorry, baby, just a minute, just a second. Like I'm not enjoying it. She's not enjoying it. I feel guilty, blah, 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 blah. The best times for us is when, you know, it is just, focused on joy and that's the other thing she she said she, we were walking along the high street where I live a couple of months ago where the towards the shops and um she said oh mommy I just smiled at that lady and she didn't smile back and I said oh maybe she didn't see you honey she's really cute I mean they're like he doesn't smile back at a kid and she <laughs> went oh, no she did she did see me and she didn't smile back and so I start going into, oh, God, trauma therapist, don't want to take on the trauma, don't want to feel rejected. Like, uh, I went, oh, well, maybe um, maybe she was, you know, thinking about something else. Or she may not have seen you, darling. And she stopped me. She let go of my hand and she stopped me in the street. She's six. And she went, no, mummy, she did see me. And she missed her opportunity for joy. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, you're right. And we high-fived because she was right. And uh, yeah, and I and actually that really resonated with me after that. Like how many times have I missed my opportunity for joy from with her, with other people, looking on my phone, you know, working, chasing something. Um, how many times might I have, I don't think that lady was bad at all. She probably had some bad news or, you know, whatever, but she did miss her opportunity for joy. And yeah. um, I was right. That's such a profound statement. Um, wow. But <clears throat> backtracking on what you just said about the, the 15 Instagram posts, um, you know, you're someone who's, who's obviously very active on Instagram and it just made me think about how, um, the narrative nowadays is that you have to turn everything into like a six figure side hustle, mm -hmm. passive income thingamadoo jigger. And if you don't have, multiple streams of income, then you're not really doing it. And it's like, <clears throat> man, can I just like do the thing that I like to do and just like do it because it revitalizes me, it brings me joy. 
Like, I, I think we have to get more into that. Like, if you have something that you're passionate about and you want to monetize it, that's awesome. Do it. Yeah. Great. Sick. I did it with this podcast, whatever the case may be is, right? But if you just like something and you feel good doing it, just, like, do it as often as you can. And that's it. That, like, that's I think freedom. that's way, yeah. Like, that's monetary value because your soul lights up. You know, that's mm -hmm. like, whoa. Like that's way cooler than money. It's like actual abundance of your, like your heart. And, mm. uh, when you're thinking about your whole life and, you know, maybe laying on your deathbed, you're not going to be like, mm, miss that opportunity to build that side hustle with real estate. You're going to be like, I fucking loved that time I spent with my friend and I was present and in the moment. And we took that trip and I wasn't worrying about anything, but like being there and doing the thing. And like, yeah, that's what you're going to think about. And so yeah, totally. I, enjoy. I, right. I mean, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Like I, and I can't knock social media just because I'm on it, right? I'm on it. I use it. Uh, so I, I can't be the person who uses something and then says it's shitty and terrible for the whole world. Uh, that's just like, doesn't make sense. It's very hypocritical. I understand there's negative and positives to it. And we need to try our best to not let social media use us, but we use social media as the tool. I think like if, like you've done beautifully. Um, and so, but we can't get wrapped in the whole culture around what people are saying because the, the side hustle culture thing is just someone trying to make their own money and do their own thing. And maybe they're passionate about that because it changed their life and they have multiple streams of income and they can travel the world and do whatever they want. And they want that, that, that for you. Maybe that's a real authentic dream and goal for them. But if it's not for you and you like going to your nine to five and coming home with your weekends off and spending time with your dog or going to the park or, and you, that's like, that's good for you. Then that's, that's good for you. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be for anyone else. And I think, I think like that's important. Um, so yeah, I love just that. To make that point. I, I really like that. And you're, you're absolutely right. Again, it's, you know, it's the whole Instagram versus reality and what we should in inverted commas be doing or, or striving for or whatever it may be. But like Instagram is not my business. You know, I've already, I've always had my business. I've always had my coaching company. I've always done the coaching work that I do. I started Instagram, like I say, because I sort of couldn't, I just felt it was wrong. And I thought if I can help someone, then uh, that's a great thing that I've done. It just so happened. It then grew and obviously really resonated and connected with an audience and you know now it has a community but it's not my job like it's as in you know my my business is still one-to-ones with clients I travel the world and do that and do corporate coaching gigs and um speaking events which I adore and you know uh, it's what's beautiful about Instagram though is me getting to do things like this with you and reach greater audiences and um, there's probably a bit of ego in there. You know, I think that's okay for me to own that, that I, I get to, to do this, but I, a couple of things I want to pick up on what you said. I listened to this amazing podcast with James Clear, who atomic habits, and he was being interviewed by Tim Ferriss. And if anyone oh, wants to, Tim. I think it was about January, I think it came out. And, um, anyway, so James Clear was saying that he actually got picked up for his book from an article that he'd written just for himself, just on like Medium or a blog or something. And it took two years for that article to get picked up, which then become the book that we all know and love today. Um, but he was just consistently tapping away. It wasn't like he had some, you know, it was something that he wanted to do. And then the other thing he talked about, because he has this incredible mailing list. He's got like 2 million subscribers on yeah. his mailing list. And they were talking about that. And they said, look, you never own um, Instagram. You know, I had a shadow ban last year for eight months from a fake account. So the fake account uh, emulated me, blocked me, reported me, because obviously they wanted to, to try and tap up my followers for money. And I had a shadow ban for eight months. So every month I hemorrhaged followers, like thousands of followers, didn't matter what we did. I lost followers. I couldn't see where people were interacting with the content. I mean, it was really frustrating. So just to sort of say and remember as well, like you, you don't, I, I enjoy the connection. I love the community. I like the feeling that I might be helping people, but you don't own it, you know, so you can be a star or like have a profile on social media, but it's not yours. So the areas to sort of think about investing in is, yeah, what, what are these things? Like you say, what's the role of your soul that you're going to be happy to do like every day of your life? And I love the book, The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. I don't know if you've read it. It speaks a lot about sports, particularly golf, which I work extensively in with athletes. 
And um, it's just a lovely book. It's beautiful on audiobooks, quite short. I'd recommend it if someone wants like an entry level. Lovely. And he says, he says about finding something that you can do where it doesn't feel like work. Like what, even if it's a side project, right? What's the thing that, that when you do it doesn't feel like work and find a way to get paid for that. And that is just delightful, isn't it? Even if it's not your full, like you say, if, if you're going to work and you're nine to five, where you love your colleagues, you enjoy working with your clients and you come home and you get to turn your, you don't have email or whatever, and you get to spend time with your family, do more of that, like beautiful. And for me, this doesn't feel like work. You know, I absolutely adore speaking and engaging with people that are, you know, got the same integrity that I do and are committed to doing things for the, the same reasons that I am like yourself. And this doesn't feel like work to me. This is a joy. So yeah, find, um, find the things that, that don't feel like work and find a way to get paid for that. hundred percent. I listened to that same Tim Ferriss and James Clear podcast. Um, one, cause I love Tim Ferriss. He's like my favorite yeah. podcaster. Uh, and my last question that I'm going to ask you, which will come in a second is stolen from Tim Ferriss. So I'm glad oh. you brought it up. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, but like James is, James owns his, his audience now, basically. Mm -hmm. And like uh, owns in like a very loose term. Right. But like if every other social media site gets brought down or taken away, he's like, can still reach the people with his message and his book. And like, that's where you want to, you want to create a real sense of connection with your people and you want to sort of get them off the platforms, but like 2 million people is like, <laughs> I'm like that's trying to reach a hundred email subscribers and I'm like, yeah, I'm almost there. Let's go. Let's get it. But like, I don't, I'm, I'm fine with that. Cause I'm, I'm putting in the long game. And, and as you said, like this podcast, like this is episode 153, which is pretty cool. Congratulations. Like, Very thank cool. you. Thank you. Yeah. So like almost three years into it, I, I mean, like I would do it if still no one listened, cause I'm getting a bunch of wisdom and insight from you that I'm going to have, I've written down that I'm going to put into my life. That's going to help me with other areas of my life. How cool is that? Like in no other time do we get to have an uninterrupted conversation for an hour. Like my phone's off. I'm not doing anything else, but like looking at you and listening to you. And so that's why I encourage people to like pretend to do a podcast with their friends once a week, like invite your friend over, put the phone down, record it 30 minutes and just riff. And just like, see what comes up. And then you can listen back and you can be like, okay, I can be a better communicator in these areas, but your phone is away and you're giving yourself uninterrupted time. Now you can, if you can make an hour, you can make it twice a week, way better. The connection increases, but you can at least do that. And so, I mean, this podcast is more beneficial to me than I, than I think anyone else for, you know, self-indulgent reasons, but that's like, because I enjoy it and it's, and it's cool to do that. So, you know, I, I pray that everyone can find something like that, but. You got to like iterate and try and fall down and get back up and you know, all that stuff. I love that. And you, and you did it. You took the leap and you did it. And you know, 153 episodes is amazing. So congratulations. And it's deeply inspirational to people listening that are thinking, Oh, could I, should I? And as you say, like, when do you get the chance to do this and just explore and express and just always be learning and be curious and, it's just such a special thing to be doing. I have a very great group of girlfriends and it's a bit of a running joke that whenever we go anywhere, we never have a photo. And I love that. <laughs> we all say how brilliant it is that someone has to consciously remember to take a picture, you know, rather than people are not on their phones. It's just, we're, we're really deeply connected and we have the most fantastic time. So yeah, I love that you said to uh, do a podcast with your friends and take that energy. It's, I'm going to, I'm going to steal that. I like that a lot. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Perfect. Um, well, one last question for you. Um, and it is stolen from Tim Ferriss, like I said, and it's, if you were going to ha have a billboard put up anywhere in the world and millions of people were going to see that billboard, uh, every single day, what would you put on it? Stop existing and start living. I had a feeling that was going to be it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just think it, uh, and it's something that I would, because I hope I would drive past it every day. Because I, I think we all, and me included, need to see it and just go. Yes. Actually, yeah. And then break. Yeah. And then PS, break on rule day together. Yeah. And then on the back, we'll throw like a, a laundry list of all of your daughter's wonderfully profound <laughs> quotes. Yeah, we'll get, well, she'll get an audiobook deal after this, I'm sure. Yeah, we'll get <laughs> <laughs> Sites. That'll be my newsletter. I'll get two million. Look at this. I'll have two million subscribers if it's Amazon sites. Yeah. 
Yeah. Amazing. Um, well, thank you so much for taking the time. I really do appreciate it. And, uh, amazing. Amazing. My pleasure. Thank you. See everyone. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to that episode with Anna Lee Howling. What a fantastic conversation. So many insights, so much wisdom packed in that conversation. Which piece of wisdom resonated with you the most? What was your biggest takeaway from that episode? Please let me know. Reach out via any social media, email, anything. Let me know what you think and how you're doing on your specific journey. But if you enjoyed that episode, please share it with a friend because the podcast grows from people like you sharing it with people like you. And don't forget to leave a rating or review on Spotify or Apple. But also in other important news, I do a newsletter every single Friday. It's called Random Stuff Friday, and I've been doing it for about 118 weeks in a row. If you would like to know my thoughts on one big idea that I dive into each week, go to AaronMashbits.com and subscribe via your email. But most importantly, above all else, please take good care of yourselves and each other, and I'll see you next time. Lots of love. Cheers.